So this morning we continue through our study in the book of Acts chapter 1, verses 15 through 26. And the title of my sermon this morning is The Invincible Purposes of God. As I was listening to that song uh, on uh, my lighthouse, I was noticing uh, that as I, I was noticing that it says God will carry you safe to shore. And I was thinking, man, that's the essence of uh, what we're talking about this morning. When we talk about the invincible purposes of God, that God is carrying us safe to our destination uh, as He guides us along. And so the Lord has just fit together everything uh, this morning according to His plan. And uh, just excited to open His Word together today. Um, just want to remind you to fill out those yellow sheets, turn those in, and, uh, and then we will meet next Sunday night. Have that in here, so I want to make sure I put that in front of you again. When we come to Acts chapter 1, verses 15 through 26, uh, we come to something of a head-scratcher passage. Um, and so I just want to kind of toss this out there and sort of uh, clear the air, clear the table, make sure we're all on the same page together. But if we're honest and we admit to each other, sometimes when we're reading God's Word, we come across passages uh, that we kind of step back away from for just a moment, and we say to ourselves, I really have no idea what that means. I don't understand why that is in the Word of God. Why did the Holy Spirit put it right there after He just said something uh, amazing or miraculous? And so we sometimes don't understand everything in Scripture. Sometimes when I'm reading something that Jesus says in the Gospels, or when I'm reading some mystery that Paul unfolds in the book of Romans, I'll walk away scratching my head and I'll consult uh, different scholars uh, on my shelf, different books Uh, that talk about what they think the passage means, and they will even have some disagreement as to interpretation there. So if that's where you are this morning, you are on good ground. You're okay. The Apostle Peter even says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 16, he says, He, talking about Paul, speaks about these things in all his letters. And listen to what he says next. There are some matters that are hard to understand. So Peter and Paul were, you know, contemporaries and everything. But Peter says of Paul, he writes some things that are still difficult for us to understand. So if one of Jesus' closest friends and apostles can say that, I think we can say that as well. And so this morning when we come to a passage like what we find in Acts chapter 1, we sort of walk away, you know, with the understanding of, like, why has God put this in His Word? If you look at chapter 1 of the book of Acts, you find uh, that it's talking about the promise of the Spirit to come that will fill them and bless them and empower them. That's in chapter 1. And then you go to chapter 2 and you will see the coming of the Spirit. So we got the promise of the Spirit and we have the coming of the Spirit. And then sandwiched right in between these two uh, important passages is this strange section on the gruesome death of Judas and the re-election of a twelfth apostle. To me, when I read it, Um, You know, I'm committed to preaching through this book. I cannot just hopscotch through parts that are inconvenient or difficult. And so when I land here, I'm thinking, what am I going to say to the people? And as I began to study, uh, God unfolded some things I want to share with you this morning. But I want to give you something that someone has passed along to me that helps me in my Bible study uh, times. When you are studying God's Word on your own at home, and, and again, I'm assuming that, you know, a Bible stays laid open somewhere, that you have a place that you go to meet with God and you uh, read the Scripture. As we read our Bibles, we really ought to, and we really ought to want to, develop the habit of asking questions of the text. So when you read a passage, you don't just kind of, 
insert your opinions over on top of what the biblical author said. When you read a passage, you begin to ask questions. You sort of pelt it with questions, if you will. Now, some of those questions, the biblical authors answer. Some of those questions, we don't find answers for. But as we learn to ask questions of God's Word, it helps us to dive a little deeper and discover what was the original meaning of this passage, and then secondarily, how does it apply to my life? And so when you read this, an obvious question, at least in in my mind, would be this. Why would the Holy Spirit, who ultimately authored Scripture through men, include this section in the very beginning of the book of Acts? What importance does it have for us today? What does God want to teach us? So when we read God's Word, we know that everything Jesus did was not recorded. There are many things He did, many interactions, many conversations that are not included in the Word of God. So if many other things happened, but this incident was recorded, then what we have to walk away with is this. For some reason, God wanted to make sure it was included in this part of the Scripture so that we learn something from it. So what does God want to teach us today? Let's begin by reading that section. Acts chapter 1, and we'll begin in verse 15. It says, In those days, the days between uh, the ascension and the resurrection, in those days Peter stood up among the brothers and sisters. The number of people who were together was about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, it was necessary. Underline that in your Bibles. Highlight it. It was necessary, however your translation says it, that the Scripture be fulfilled, that the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of David, foretold about Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was one of our number and shared in this ministry. Now this man, speaking about Judas, acquired a field with his unrighteous wages. He fell headfirst, or some translations say headlong, And his body burst open and his intestines spilled out. If you thought the Bible was a boring, dry book, you're wrong. Here it is right here. This became known to all the residents of Jerusalem, so that in their own language that field is called Hakel Damah, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling become desolate. Let no one live in it, and let someone else take his position. And then Peter resumes after this parenthetical note, and he says, Therefore, from among the men who have accompanied us during the whole time, the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us. From among these, again, it is necessary that one become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they proposed to Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you, Lord, know everyone's hearts. Show which of these, which of these two you have chosen to take the place in this apostolic ministry that Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. Will you pray with me for a moment? Father, I pray you would give us insight and clarity into your word. I pray that your Holy Spirit would teach and apply it to our lives. Help us to walk out today, God, with the confidence that you are sovereignly in control of our lives. Lord, help us in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So when you step back from this passage, let me give you the forest before we jump into the trees. When you step back from this passage, what you have is Peter has stepped into the lead role among the apostles. And he stands up to speak to the group at a critical point really before the church began to explode. They're still gathered together. Did you catch how many uh, disciples were numbered? 120. So that's probably half of what we have in here this morning or something close to it. So there's still a relatively smallish group, so to speak. And the very first thing Peter says to them that is recorded for us is in verse 16. Listen to what Peter says. He says, the scriptures had to be fulfilled. My translation says, it was necessary. Where the Holy Spirit predicted the fall of Judas through the mouth of David. I'm going to read that again because that's what the entire passage hangs on. The scriptures had to be fulfilled. It was necessary. Where the Holy Spirit predicted the fall of Judas through the mouth of David. So what is Peter saying here? He's saying the Old Testament spoke about Judas's destruction before it ever happened. If you look beside uh, In your Bible, in verse 20, you'll probably see a little note, maybe a superscript that points you down to a footnote at the bottom, and it's going to refer you back to Psalm 69 and Psalm 109. What Peter is saying is that what was spoken in Psalm 69 uh, years before Judas came along and betrayed Christ has proven true. Why? Because the Scriptures had to be fulfilled, and God authored those Scriptures, and God's purposes then are invincible. That's what I want you to walk away with this morning. That's what some of you in this place limping through some situations in your life need to hear. You need to apply to your heart. You need to wrestle with this morning. That the purposes of God are not lost on your life. God has not gone to sleep up there in heaven and forgotten about you. He has not turned his head and neglected you. He knows exactly where you are. He knows the change in your family dynamic. He knows the difficulty in your marriage. He knows about the child who has left the track that you prayed for them from the moment they were down here being dedicated in a church. God has not forgotten about you. And His purposes for you are invincible. Thursday afternoon... I went over to meet with a little boy that I mentor every week. He's in the fourth grade. And I felt the Lord prompting me to pull my phone out at the end and say, Come here, uh, Dominic, I want you to read this passage of Scripture. And I pointed him to, to Jeremiah 29, 11. We love that verse. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Do you know why I, I felt the Lord prompting me to have him read that? Because we were walking down the hallway and I said, Dominic, what do you want to do? I want to be an NBA basketball player. All right, well, okay. Maybe, but right now we're struggling to hit the rim. I mean, maybe we'll get there. (laughs) But he said, I want to be an NBA basketball player. And he said, I I don't don't want a wife. He said, I want a girlfriend. Okay, all right. I said, so so what do you think God's plans are for you? Be an NBA basketball player. I said, okay, all right, maybe. I said, but here's what I want you to hear. God's plans for you are good. Whatever that is, whether it's a wife or a girlfriend or the NBA or not, God's plans for you are good. He's got a purpose for your life. When those Israelites were in exile, God's purpose didn't just dissolve and go into thin air. He was leading them through that time of exile and bringing them out on the other side. And what some of you in this place this morning need to hear the Word of God say to you is that God's purposes in your life cannot be conquered, 
They cannot be defeated. They cannot be destroyed. They will not dissolve. God's purposes are sure and steady and strong. So this thing with Judas, listen, this thing with Judas appeared to go terribly off course. It appeared to be completely opposite of what we would have wanted to have. Jesus died in shame and utter humiliation and all his friends turned their back on him. And all the while, God is at work. If I ask you this morning, someone stand up and and share a story about how a time in your life when things appeared to go terribly off track. And I want you to testify about God's goodness in it. We could probably finish out the rest of this morning and probably go well into lunch listening to people in this room alone talk about how God has carried you through. Matter of fact, as I say it, I see some of you, I can't read your minds, but I can see some of you scrolling back to times in your lives when God has carried you through difficult times. And the purposes of God you need to hear today are invincible, unconquerable, indomitable. He is working His ends all the time and He's going to bring about His plan and it is good even when things go off track. Listen to John Piper. God wants us to see the invincible purpose of the Holy Spirit. That when the Holy Spirit says something, it will be fulfilled even if it takes a thousand years. The writing of Psalm 69 between that time and Judas's time was about a thousand or so years. You see this in the words, had to be fulfilled in verse 16. How can Peter say it had to be? Piper says, I think there's only one answer. Either Peter was wrong in verse 16 or the Holy Spirit as we find it, his purposes are omnipotent. I think Piper's agreeing with Peter that God is always supremely in control and he does everything he sets out to do. So we naturally have some questions as we work through this because we compare our experiences, our struggles, our difficulties with what God's word tells us about him working out a perfect plan in our lives. A.W. Tozer gives what I think is a simple and helpful illustration for us to make sense of God's sovereignty in our world. Listen to this. He says, imagine that a massive ocean liner was leaving New York bound for Liverpool, England. So crossing the Atlantic, going from New York to Liverpool, England. And the destination for that ship has been determined, predetermined by proper authorities. And nothing can change where that ship is headed. On board the liner are many passengers. And not one of these passengers is in chains. They're not being forced to do anything they don't want to do. They move about freely. They do as they please. They eat, they sleep, they lounge, they play, they converse. They do whatever they would like to do freely as they will. But the entire time, the great ocean liner is carrying them steadily towards the predetermined port. Tozer says that's the way it is with the mighty liner of God's sovereign design, keeping its steady course over the sea of history. Listen to this. God moves. Do you believe that? God moves unhindered toward the fulfillment of His eternal purposes. We can have a good hope and a firm assurance of our future well-being because, why? God is accomplishing His plan in our lives. Why do I go to so much trouble to say that to you all this morning? Because I've spoken with so many of you in this room and I know my own situation and my own difficulties that I've walked through even this week. 
And it's so easy to look around instead of looking up. Every time Jim Brewer texts me, you know what he says? He and I are in communication. I'll ask him for help and we'll meet together and stuff. He says, keep looking up, bro. I don't know if it's bro or brother. But I'm, just, I'm 33, so I say bro. Keep looking up, brother. Keep looking up. Where do we tend to look when the waters get shaky? Where do we tend to look when the boat rocks? I don't know about you, but I know what I do. I look around. And I look at the circumstances that are going on around me. And here's what I am the world's worst, probably the worst in this room to do. Instead of telling it to Jesus, like Marge Maxwell told me to do this week, I'll share my troubles with her. She said, tell it to Jesus. You know what I do? I tell it to somebody else. I try to have my wife or maybe my, my dad or maybe a close friend carry a load that only Jesus can carry. Is that even a fair burden to put on them? No. They're not omnipotent. They're not omniscient. They're not working in all things to accomplish their purposes. Yes, God gives us friends to share things with, of course. But where ought we to look the very first time? We ought to look toward the Lord. We ought to lift our eyes towards heaven. What does Psalm 121 say? I lift my eyes where? To the Lord. The maker of who? Heaven and earth. If he can make heaven and earth, if he can speak creation into existence. Did you see the blue in the sky this morning? I walked out, and the very first thing I saw was, wow, what a color. No artist painted that. God said whatever he said, and that color came into existence. That's how powerful he is. And we ought to take Marge Maxwell's example, and we ought to just tell it to the one who can speak that blue into existence without any effort whatsoever because his purposes are sure and steady when we go through our difficulties we doubt his goodness we doubt his sovereignty we doubt his wisdom but he says don't doubt just look to me and tell it to me Vance Havner listen to this quote says the unseen hand we sang about that this morning I don't know if you caught that the unseen hand may be obscured at times by the fog of circumstance but just because we can't see the sun on a cloudy day doesn't mean that it's not there. Go down to verse 21 with me. Peter picks up after the quotation. Listen to 21 and 22. Peter says, Therefore, from among the men who have accompanied us during the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, Beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us. From among these, listen, it is necessary that one become a witness with us of his resurrection. Again, we see Peter saying it is necessary. Well, why, Peter? Why? Why is it necessary? Because Peter says the scriptures had to be fulfilled. And he goes back to Psalm 109. If you look at Psalm 109 verse 8, it says this. Let someone else or another take his position. Whose position? Judas. All of this was forecasted, predicted in the word of God to take place. And Peter applies it right there in front of his friends and says, God's word holds true. Let's just follow the footsteps he set out for us to walk in. So what do they do? They propose Joseph, who has a bunch of other names, and Matthias. Both men were, uh, met the requirements of an apostle. They had to be a follower of Christ from the beginning, present at his baptism, and they had to have interacted with Jesus 
during the time that he was appearing to his disciples before he ascended. Then verse 24, it says they prayed. Now, I hope that's something that we all do before we make a big decision. We ought to pray. So they prayed and they said this, Lord, you know everyone's hearts. Show us which of these two you've chosen to take the place in this apostolic ministry. They trusted in the perfect knowledge of God. And they trusted in the authority of scriptures. And then what did they do? They rolled the dice. Essentially, that's what the apostles did. They prayed, God, this is in your hands. We trust in your knowledge. We trust in your word. And then they basically rolled the dice. What do you mean? Explain that part to me. Well, in the Old Testament, before the Spirit of God was given, there was a method that people used to determine the will of God called casting lots. You've probably heard about it. It's something like rolling the dice or drawing straws or something of that nature. So lots were probably stones that had little marks made on them. And what they do is put them in a, a clay pot. And they would, well, they had other methods. They put them in a clay pot and they would shake it up and they would dump it onto the robe or onto the floor in front of them to determine the answer. However the stones fell out and whatever the markings were, they took that to be their answer. Now to us, that sounds a lot like what? Chance. Sounds like just random chance that these things are going to happen this way. But the disciples trusted that God was uh, ruling over the outcome. Listen to Proverbs 16, 33. The lot is cast, but it's every decision comes from who? It's behind me. Read it. From the Lord. The lot is cast. The dice are rolled, so to speak. But it's every decision comes from the Lord. So they narrowed the candidates down to two, and they trusted in the sovereign will of God, listen, to prevail even over the rolling, so to speak, of the dice. Listen to what Chuck Swindoll says. I love his sense of humor he brings to the scriptures. Swindoll says, it was a safe bet in a manner of speaking. Now that's not how we decide things today. We have the opportunity to have the Holy Spirit living in us if we are a believer in Christ. And we consult God and the Holy Spirit leads us and guides us as we follow Him. But here's what I think is the point behind this whole passage. Everything from, uh, everything all the way down to the rolling of the dice, I believe the disciples possessed confidence that God was what Martha said He was. The boss. That God was ordaining even that moment where Kevin falls down on the floor and all of you have this great laugh. That God is in absolute authority, that he is sovereign. And the disciples trusted that no matter how bad things appeared to go, to get off course, that God was accomplishing his perfect purposes in the world. I was reading a book this past week on overcoming uh, fear and anxiety. And as I was reading that book on overcoming fear and anxiety, one of the chapters dealt with trusting and resting in the sovereignty of God. Trusting, resting in the sovereignty of God. What does sovereignty mean? It has the word reign in it. That God is ruling. That God is reigning. That God has not abdicated his throne and stepped down into the floor to be one of us. That he still sits elevated looking down upon the earth ruling and reigning over every single moment. Even the ones that appear to be the worst moments in our lives. How much confidence does it give us to know that God is still on his throne? 
I remember hearing my pastor as a little boy lean out over that pulpit. My mom and dad are here today. He'd lean out over that pulpit and he'd do that hand like that. Actually, it was his left hand because I think he was left-handed. And he would say, see, I was paying attention. And he would say, God is still on his throne. He's not stopped being in control over the moments in our lives. And what do we tend to do? We tend to worry, don't we? What does worry say to God? For one thing, it says we're human because we deal with it. Okay, that's, that's reality. We struggle with worry. But if we continue to choose worry over trusting in the Lord, when the Word speaks to us, maybe when a Christian brother or sister comes to you and says, hey, listen, I see you worrying and dealing with this anxiety. You need to give this over to the Lord. Oh, yes, but I can't. I, I don't know if God's going to relieve me of my situation. When I'm worrying, here's what I'm saying to God. I got this. I don't need you. I will mentally try to navigate my way through this and I, under my own power, can deal with the difficulty that I'm facing. I got it, God. I'm good. But we know that we are not. We know that we need Him to guide us and lead us and His Spirit to speak to us and say, don't turn from the right, don't turn from the left, walk in this way. Seven-year-old Roger Woodward went out for a boat ride with his 17-year-old sister. They were visiting a man that lived at Niagara Falls, New York, and they went boating above the falls. I don't know why anybody would go boating uh, above the falls, but apparently they were in uh, supposedly a safe zone. But the boat developed motor trouble and tipped over. When it tipped over, all three of them would get scattered. And the man who was their guide went over the falls and was killed. Roger's 17-year-old sister's drifting towards the edge of the falls, towards the cliff, and some tourists grab her and pull her to safety just just yards before she goes over the edge. But 7-year-old Roger went over the falls wearing nothing but his swim trunks and an orange life preserver. At the bottom, there was a tourist boat that was going towards the falls, and it just turned away from the falls, just viewing the beauty of God's creation. And they spotted Roger floating in the basin. They rushed over to him, and they rescued him from the water unconscious, and they took him to the hospital where he spent three days and somehow managed to survive with only a concussion and a few bumps and bruises, and he was released. Thirty years passed. And Roger Wood would return back to Niagara Falls to share his story, his testimony, how God guided him through that experience at the Glengate Alliance Church. The audience sat, just like you all this morning, quietly, hushed, listening for every detail of that story. As he told his story, he shared about the panic that he felt as he drifted helplessly towards this cliff, knowing that there was nothing he could do to stop his own death and demise. He talked about the anger that he felt as he looked on shore and there were people watching him going towards the cliff and there was nothing they could do and he became angry at them because they were not able to help him. And then he talks about the flashbacks that he's had for the last 30 years. Flashbacks of being a little 7-year-old boy drifting towards the edge of a cliff and inwardly preparing to say goodbye to his mom and dad and to his dog and to his toys. Listen to what he said to that church. He said, it wasn't the hand of fate that saved me. It wasn't the hand of luck. It was the spirit of the living God that saved my life that day and saved my sister so that we could both come to knowledge of Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior. God saved us so that we could come to know Him. 
God took the very worst moment in Roger's life, what could have been the end of his life, and used it not to draw him towards the edge of a cliff in danger, but to use that moment. He went over that cliff. He went over that dangerous time in his life. And he drew Roger toward himself because he was working in the purposes that he had for Roger's life. That's what God did for these disciples. For many of them, they were struggling. They had seen the the resurrected Jesus and they were encouraged by that. But they did not know what their next step was. And they trusted and relied on the Lord to guide them for their next step. Maybe many of you in this room are wondering, what's my next step? What's our next step as a marriage or a family? What's my next step in my job? What's my next step in my retirement? What's my next step with this diagnosis that I'm staring at now that the doctor has given me? What is my next step in life? I don't know what that is. You don't know what that is. But here's what I can tell you this morning from the Word of God that is without error that His purposes are invincible, that they are unconquerable, that there is more power in God's voice than there is in Niagara Falls to carry out the perfect purposes and sure, steady plan of God for your life And for mine. Charles Spurgeon said when you can't trace his hand. We have to trust his heart. And we know from scripture that God is a good, loving, compassionate, gracious God. Abounding in steadfast love and relenting in anger. So I want to leave you the question this morning. What are you struggling to trust God with in your life today? What are you struggling to trust God with? What answer are you waiting for? What difficulties weighing you down even as you attempt to smile at people in this room this morning?